Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello there everyone, and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Good morning there, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good thanks, Mark. Good to be talking to you again. I'm going to be a little bit tired today, mate. It's been a busy week, been all over the shop, and it's funny actually, when you do travel for work, for council duties, people sometimes think you're on a bit of a junket, but it's usually not much of a junket. I found myself actually three days last week, right, up at 4am to get some stuff finished off before I then went and did 4 some of the- 4am. 4am. And then <laughs> did no some- No you looking tired. Then. Exactly right. Did some of the tour. And of course, one thing that's always a bit tough is that it was- my wife's birthday on Friday. Oh, isn't that nice? Well, happy birthday then to that beautiful wife of yours. Except I wasn't there. So, so I did get there eventually. Jeez. So, okay. So is the tide been sort of running around there trying to buy her a beautiful birthday present or something? Or multiples it? of. Or multiple of, exactly. Yes. <laughs> but I didn't get back into Dubbo till late Friday morning and then I still had functions through the day and I finally got home properly at about... Eight o'clock that night. So, oh boy, I'm really hoping here this involved, I don't know, some jewelry. Ju- say that again, jewelry. <laughs> Something there that's beautiful and lovely. Well, I shouldn't have to buy my wife's emotions. Can I get away with it like that? Oh, well, <laughs> you get away with me, but I don't know you get away with your wife. Exactly, <laughs> problem. Well, mate, listen, uh, I'm glad to see you got back at least for some part of the birthday, which was uh, good to see. Well, at one stage it mightn't have been that, but anyway, we, oh, we got that's there. That's good, that's yeah. good. Well, well, again, call out to that beautiful dream for her birthday there. I won't ask, of course, how old she is because that would be very rude of me. Happy birthday, 29. 29? Yeah, yeah. I would have said 30, but 29, we'll go with 29. <laughs> now, mate, uh, talking about the fact you've been busy and you've been away. It looks as though, again, you've been up there to uh, start off there in Coolangatta. You flew in there last Tuesday as uh, one of the first things. So what was going on up on the that far north coast region? What was happening? Yeah, look, we flew up there on Tuesday. Myself and the CEO flew up there on Tuesday afternoon. Had a pretty busy day in Dubbo on Tuesday. So I caught a, a late flight up there and it was really to get there for Wednesday activity. So man, on Tuesday, mm-hmm. got there late Tuesday night. Got to the high-class Gold Coast Airport Motel. Oh, okay. So the airport motel. Wow, that sounds Not fabulous. luxurious. Yeah, it fabulous. was a bed and a shower. So that Outstanding. Was and no luggage. Okay. So, motel camping, so to speak. Motel camping. <laughs> my luggage, and I've got a tracker in my luggage, and I landed at the Collingata Airport, yes. and I went straight over to the baggage collection services and said, can I put in a claim? Mm. And they said, well, the carousel hasn't even started yet. And I said, I know, but I'm looking at my phone, and my luggage is sitting in Sydney still, I don't think you're going to get it here tonight. Oh, no. So had to put the claim in, for, or not the claim, just to get it delivered the next day, yes, of course. Yes. So got that set up and organised. And so I was wearing my suit, and I guess that I was wearing the same suit the next day, which is a bit unpleasant. In fact, going, what's that smell? I, I made a, a rookie <laughs> error, though. We were looking around for somewhere to eat. It was 9.30, something like mm. that at night. And it was hard to find somewhere to eat. So one of the things we did do is we went past a convenience store, and I should have stopped then and gone in and got a toothbrush because I didn't, Remember so how disgusting course, yes. your teeth feel when you don't yeah. clean your teeth. So I wake Absolutely. up the next morning and I've gone, my teeth feel disgusting. And when I got up at four o'clock the next morning, there was no convenience store nearby that I could go to, oh, but I no. definitely wanted to clean my teeth. So you had uh, no change of anything, no uh, toothbrush, no, no toothpaste, and you sat down there at a conference. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I did tell people to stay away from me, but Aren't you pretty, pretty good. Out there that, advertising, Dubbo, isn't that the sort of thing you should be doing? <laughs> that's right. That's not the best advertising. They eventually get my bag to about lunchtime, so oh, that's about nice, I can finally clean my teeth. You're fresh enough. That's right. Yeah. 
So, of course, the fact that uh, you look so obviously up there in that uh, beautiful far north coast region, and uh, you got there, you, you managed to obviously get your bags and that sort of stuff on the Wednesday. You, of course, then it looks like here, Wednesday, then went for a tour of the Tweed Heads region. Now, of course, this is the region that got devastated by the floods, wasn't it? They did get pretty well damaged by the floods and a mm. whole range of issues they had. It was fascinating. So let me go back a step and explain why. Why you're there, absolutely. It wasn't just yeah. a chance in the middle of winter to go up there to some warmer weather. Well, that would sort of work for me. <laughs> that's right. That's not a bad reason. But we've got a group called Regional Cities New South Wales, RCNSW. Mm. We've got 15 councils that are in that, 15 cities, if you like, that are in that. So I won't rattle them all off, but mm. just to give you an idea. So in the middle of the state here near us, we've got Dubbo, Orange and Bathurst. As you go a bit further north, you've got places like Tweed Heads and mm. Lismore, down south, Wagga and Albury. So essentially the cities that are out there in the region, mm. we're not talking about the cities in metro areas, we're talking about regional cities. Mm. And we typically get together every three months in Sydney. We do it at Parliament House because we've got better access to politicians. Yep. They'll normally come and talk to us, we'll get some updates, we'll come in and give them some of our things that we'd like to see in our regional cities. Mm. And it's really effective having that group working together. We've got a lot more in common than we've got not in common, mm. so that's good. And we can take things on a joint perspective to government in a range of things. But it's even just sharing issues, sharing problems, yep. how did you solve that problem. One of the discussion points that happened about two meetings ago was that a couple of the members said, we'd love to do a site tour. Mm. And I'm the chairperson of this group. Yep. And, and I actually said, I love the idea of a site tour, but time is of the essence. And we no one in the mm. room. We've got all the mayors and the GMs from these 15 cities in the room. Sometimes people will come in via video conference, but we don't have excess time. When we go to Sydney, it's typically fly down in the morning. Yep. We have our meetings. We have maybe some meetings with politicians, we have our, our board meeting and such, and then we'll often fly back that night. Sometimes mm. you might fly down the night before if you've got some early morning meetings with some pollies. Mm. But usually it's one day, yeah. maybe one day and a bit at most. Once you start talking about a site, schedule, I'd say as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and all of the cities, it's fairly easy for them to get to Sydney because mm. most of them have got flights. Some like Bathurst would typically drive because it might only be a couple of hours to drive. Yeah. But when we start talking about site visits, it's going to be really good for some. Some can drive that are mm. reasonably close, but some are going to have two flights to get there. So it added adds a little bit of complexity to the whole scenario. Mm. But I left it alone for one round of board meetings, and then it was brought up again at the next one. Yeah. So I said, look, if you're really keen, we'll organise it. Yeah. And we thought about where to go for the first site visit for RCNSW. And we thought maybe Lismore and Tweed Heads with mm. some of the devastation they've had with floods. Yep. That seemed like a logical place to go first. So we start off in Tweed Heads. So this is Wednesday last week. We're yep. in Tweed Heads. We had an overview from the mayor. Chris Cherry's the mayor there. From the mayor, she gave us an overview of Tweed Heads, bit of background mm. information, mm. and then just talked about some of the challenges. So mm. COVID-19. I was going to say, like, first, like, how's it looking up there for the – I haven't been to Tweed Heads since all the floods went through. So what's it looking like? Right now, generally, I suppose, first and foremost. Yeah, mostly pretty good. Mm. We went for a drive around, which I'll get to in a moment, but we went yeah. for a drive around and looked at some places, and obviously they took us to places that are the good and the bad. Yeah, yeah. And there were some places that were pretty bad, but I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Mm. But the first issue they identified was, and something that not every city can identify with, mm. but the COVID-19 problem for them, that you've got a boundary, not just an LGA boundary that goes through their mm. city, through the area, mm. but a state boundary. Mm. So as soon as you had... Yeah, so that's right. You're Queensland, New South Wales, the bordering of, yes. Correct. And as soon yeah. as you had border lockdowns, people, a lot of people, work across the border. It might be a 10-minute commute to work, mm. but you go across the border. You might work at 
Gold Coast Council and you live in Tweed Heads or you might yep. work in yep. Tweed Heads Council and you live in the Gold Coast, but you can't go to work. You can't mm. go across the border. Mm. So they were trying to get exemptions for people and hand wow. out certificates for people. There were stories that they told us about people dropping off goods at the border and someone have to pick it up on the other side of the mm. border or all sorts of crazy things happening. So that was a real challenge yes, for them. So yes. they talked through that challenge, which is not necessarily something that every council will see, but you, yeah. you do learn from these things. Of course, flooding is one of the big things and yeah. they've got some buybacks they've been doing. The government's been giving some money for some buybacks. Mm. So the idea there is that you've got houses that are in a flood area, you can fix those houses. Yeah. And we're pretty certain they're going to have another flood. Mm. So then it floods again, there's a cost to that, you have insurance, maybe, maybe you can't get insurance, and then you fix it up again. And so it's at the point now where they've been going quite well from a government perspective, getting money to buy back houses. And the people have been getting reasonable money. So it's not Good. as if we're going to pay you pittance for your house because yep. it's in a flood area. Yes, <laughs> they're, yes. They're saying a market value for this house, not in a flood area, so you can go and buy somewhere else. So, so they're actually providing, like this is interesting because uh, that you've actually been up there now, so you've seen this and hearing it firsthand because there's been a lot of media report talking about the fact that th- this hasn't been happening. There's only been a small number of people that have actually secured a buyback from the government. But you're saying here, Matt, that that's not necessarily the case, the fact that there's actually some good numbers are being bought back well, and they're good in good figures for them. Yeah, not not quite yet. So there have been a small number bought back, but right. it seems like the process is flowing through. But okay. what I was impressed about was that people were getting money that they were happy with. Not They weren't getting huge, they weren't getting triple the, yeah. the value of the house, but they were getting what was a fair and reasonable value if it wasn't in a flood area because you're not going to be able to sell those places if yeah. you just kept them, yeah. but it allowed them to go and buy somewhere else. But then that gave us the next problem for Tweed mm. Heads. Mm. And we've talked about this when we've sat around Parliament House, when the various councils are saying some of their problems they're, they're facing at the moment, mm. they've talked about their housing crisis. And all 15 cities say, oh, yes, we've all got housing crisis yep. because everyone wants to move to regional cities and they want to get out of Sydney and isn't that fantastic and so mm. we've got to solve this housing crisis. But when you start to get there on the ground mm. and then we start to go for drives in the bus around various places. So we had the mayor and the jam of Tweed up the front of the bus giving us commentary as we drove around. Yeah. So it was yeah. like a, a bus tour. Oh, nice. But we'd go along various places and say, these houses here, they're all being bought out. Or these houses here, no one's living at the moment because they've been damaged from the flood. Yeah. And you start to think, wow, where do those people go? I was going to say, like, like, what's happening to these people? Is Are they actually staying in Tweed Heads in the region or are they moving out of the area? Because that's obviously a concern for the council as well. If Are these people there? Still? Well, they're trying to stay there, right. but that exacerbates their housing crisis. Yeah. So when I look at Dubbo and I go, oh, it's great, everyone's trying to move to Dubbo, we've got a housing crisis, I'm making the assumption that all the people that live here yep. have still got somewhere to live. Yep. But you go to Tweed Heads... People are trying to go to Tweed Heads, mm. but people that are living there are trying to find housing as well. So that really is putting a lot of stress mm. on the housing prices, mm. prices mm. because you've got a housing crisis. Yeah. So that really drove it home. And the real shame of it is you drive past some of these houses and they look fine, yeah. apart from that they were two metres or three metres yeah. of water from yeah. their ground level. And obviously you can't keep living in somewhere like that. The yep. amount of work you have to do from a damage perspective is incredible. Yep. And some of them would have to just be condemned and start again. So that that was an interesting process. This would be a massive challenge for the council as well, I'd imagine. Like, Is, is there land in Tweed Heads for people to build in at a higher area? Well, that's the next issue they had right. <laughs> as right. we drove around. Yeah. They showed us a number of areas yeah. where the land is zoned for residential, ready to be built on. Mm. And... When you've heard some of the talk from the new government about some of the solution to housing crisis, it's been, let's get those areas out there, zone correctly, get DAZ in approved, ready to go. Mm. And that's all great. But Tweedhead said that they've got a problem that not every council identified with, but some certainly did. Mm. They've got one major developer, maybe two developers that own 
most of the residential land. Mm. Now, it's not in their best interest to develop all of that land today because mm. mm. you've got supply and demand. Yeah, yeah. You want to keep the demand really high to keep your pricing high. So they've got, as a, it was one main developer, but another one with a bit yeah. of land as well. But essentially, the land is locked up by these developers. Yeah, right. Now, once you put a DA in, for example, if you want to build on it, want to build something on there, you've got a normal DA, for example, you can put a DA in mm. and you've got five years to start substantial works. Now, mm. what's substantial? Well, it's more than driving in a peg to say, there's a surveyor's peg, mm. but you do a bit of earthworks, you do a bit of work on maybe mm. a road, then typically that's it, and then you've got forever. Mm. And this is one of the things that, right? that okay. as a collective of regional cities, yep. rather than just tweed lobbying the government, mm. this is where 15 cities as a collective can lobby the government and say, you might have to put some limitations on developments that there is a maximum yeah. time frame to develop it, or you've got to go back to the and, drawing and board. what does substantial actually mean that's actually going to help and benefit these cities? Well, that's been a, an argument for a long time is what does substantial mean? And it yeah. used to be driver surveyors peg in, but it's a bit more than that now, but yeah. it's got to be something significant. So that was an interesting part. But then uh, positive, you're always looking for these positives. Mm. And their art gallery in Tweed was magnificent. Right. But Margaret Ollie, Australia's most famous still life artist, mm. Portrait artists, or, or more stills, I think, was, was mm. what Margaret was into, just looking at her, the gallery up there. She left a million dollars in her will to the Tweed Council, to the art gallery there, mm. and she said, I want you to recreate some rooms from my house in the art gallery. Right. And, and there's a million dollars to do it. Very yeah, wow. nice, Margaret. Yeah, yeah. And it's her 100th anniversary this year of her birth, so there's a lot okay. of activity around Margaret Ollie at the moment. Yep. But a million dollars wasn't enough to do what she asked them to do in her will. Right. So they did a bunch of fundraising for it and very active. The, the art gallery was very active for this one project. Mm. It ended up being about a $6 million project, mm. a million from Margaret's estate, a million from council and $4 million from the community. Oh, wow. And what they've done, yeah. I thought was fantastic. They've actually recreated her room and you can't walk in and through the room, but you can walk up to it and there's an open door with glass up to waist height. So you can't walk in, but you can stand there and look in with nothing in front of you right. on all sides of it. But they've gone to an incredible level of detail. Her street where Margaret used to live is sloped. So the actual street outside her house mm. was sloped. They've sloped the concrete floor around the outside of this house replica right, or rooms right. replica yeah. to match the street, oh, really? which was yeah. done really well. Yeah. And with the greatest respect, mm. Margaret's house looked like a bomb had gone off in it. Oh, is that right? Okay. It was probably one of those classic artists that was incredibly talented, yep. had a very organised structure in her mind for mm. what she, she was producing, but around her was chaos, yep. Yep. it looked like. So, and again, I'm not being disrespectful at all no, to Margaret. No, yes. Photos I'm of, sure there's many artists out there can relate to this 100%. I think you're right. Yeah. Photos of Margaret's house looked exactly like this, yeah. but the replica had been done exactly mm. like this. And the woman who runs the gallery there was heavily involved in this whole mm. process, visiting Margaret's house, photographing everything, taking mm. notes to make sure it was replicated, mm. and it, it did look fantastic. So oh, that's a, a really good thing they've got there. But from our perspective, yeah. we're always looking for how do we apply these things. Now, they've got a nice little gift shop there as right. you walk in. We look at our Western Plains Cultural Centre. We've got a little area there you can buy a few little things. And mm. I've actually talked to our CEO before, and I said, I wonder if some of our tourist activities, I'm talking about the jail, I'm mm. talking about the cultural centre, even our visitor information centre, mm. I wonder if we could sell more products, whether there's more touristy-type products mm. we could sell. Now, they had a space there which wasn't very big in their gallery, six metres by six metres, so not mm. a huge area. Mm. They generate a huge amount of money through there. They generate, after wages of the staff that run that, 
they net about $72,000 per year, or that was last year, for the council. So not only are they promoting various products in there for the gallery. It's a profitable operation. Yeah, not only do they actually have people who are artists who can put products in there on Mm. commission Mm. or on consignment, sorry, Mm. they actually then generate income. Now, that's not the whole gallery generates that, but that little gift shop, and again, that's a great little pickup. It's part of the reason why you're obviously going up there is to see this and pick up these little things along the way. Pick up those little things. Now, when we're sitting around at Parliament House, Chris Cherry, the mayor, is never going to say, oh, by the way, all your other councils are there. I just thought I'd let you know that we've got a little gift shop and blah, blah. But when you're there, we're looking at this little gift shop. Oh, that looks a bit bigger than Mm. our gift shops. Mm. How does that work? So then Mm. you walk away going, now what else can we put into ours and what else could we sell? And Mm. you just start thinking about these sort of things. So there's those sort of things which I think is part of that value, if you like. Absolutely. I think that sounds fantastic. And so you sound a bit of a segue then in regards to the business sector because obviously it it seems to me, and from uh, sitting back watching the news up there, this whole area of the business sector, those Main Street areas and all of those areas seem to have been destroyed. Um, is business coming back in this area? or? Well, I don't think it was actually quite as bad. We'll get on to Lismore in a moment. But yeah. Tweed probably didn't get hit anywhere near as bad as Lismore. Okay. But obviously there was damage done there. There's no doubt yep. about that. Yep. And it does seem to be back. And Well, it seemed like it was pretty busy. It seemed mm. like things were happening there. I actually think COVID-19 probably hit them more mm. from an ongoing perspective yep. than the floods. Certainly the floods are devastating. February, March last year, horrific. Yeah. But then you can start recovering and you've got a known entity to work with. You've got damage to property. How do I fix that? COVID-19 was a hidden danger mm. and we didn't mm. really know how long. We didn't know, not that you always know how long a flood goes for, but mm. no one could have predicted in 2020, yeah. the beginning of 2020, when COVID first hit, that we'd be there a couple of years later still being impacted by it. So I I actually think that probably hit them more. And there is a a street in Tweed called Boundary Street, or probably Boundary Road, but I think it's Boundary Street. And that literally is the boundary between Queensland and New South Wales. So when we're going along there, it was so during COVID, people on that side of the road couldn't come and visit people on this side of the road. They often know each other. They might be relatives of each other, but no. It's like East and West Germany or something. It was. It felt a bit like that, I'm sure. They said exactly that. It was almost as if the wall had been constructed overnight and that was it. So I think that had more of an impact. But again, good to see what's happening out there. Good to hear. And again, just one little pickup that they got from it. There was an area that had been damaged by floods. So it was basically various buildings were damaged. They had to be Mm. knocked down. And they build a new community centre, but they build it with more resilience yep. that could actually handle going under in a flood, which there are better construction methods now. Mm. If you know it's going to go under, you yep. can. One of the problems they had for this was they got some government money to build it, mm. put some extra money in their own, and the land that's there is classified as community land. Mm. And it sounds a bit boring and technical, but typically your land that council owns can be classified and ignore zoning for a moment, mm. but I'm talking about one mm. specific type of zoning. It can be classified as operational or community. Right. Now, if it's community land, sometimes residents love the idea of community land because you can't sell on it or you can't sell it. You can't have commercial premises on there, that mm. type of thing. But the problem they have is they built these particular buildings on community land. Right. But on your balance sheet, it's something that hit your balance sheet in a negative way, even though it's still just a building. And they, they yep. might be renting some of that building out, but it's not an asset in the same way as if it was on operational land. Okay. So they actually saw that as a, as a real negative for their balance right. sheet. Yeah, yeah. So some other mayors and gems around there and yeah. were saying, well, why don't you just change it to operational land? And they said, no, no, our community is very protective of land that council owns. They wouldn't want it to be operational. I said, well, I actually think if you explain to them why and don't 
change the whole park. They might be worried if these beautiful ovals that kids run around and play yep. frisbees on or whatever, if you started changing that to operational, that might mm. be a concern. But mm. where that building sits, that would make sense. So mm. subdividing this block and actually changing that. Mm. And so the mayor and chairman going, oh, well, we never really thought about that. Maybe it would be okay. Fabulous. And again, it's part yeah, of having that conversation yeah. with the community. Will Absolutely. they do it? Who knows? But it's again, it's about sharing part those ideas. Part of the reason ideas. why you're there, sharing the ideas and something that you probably wouldn't do on a normal trip down to Sydney. Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. Now, you then started to travel down. You mentioned they're uh, heading down there to Lismore. And Lismore, it seems, was the next day on the trip there for you. Um, now... We've talked about the flooding impact. Now, Lismore was absolutely devastated, uh, certainly from what I've seen on the, the news there. I'm assuming that was the case. So from your perspective, Matt, speaking to the other mayors up there, and particularly the Lismore mayor, um, what's, how's it looking up there right now? Well, it's really interesting. So we left the Tweed Heads area on the Wednesday night, mm. drove down to the Lismore Wilson Hotel, another Lovely establishment down there in Lismore. And again, up at four o'clock the next morning, ready to go again. Things. Yes, yes. And then went to Lismore. And we actually had our board meeting. We still have a board meeting each time we meet, each quarter right. we meet. So yeah. we had a formal board meeting and went through a, a few of our priorities to go to the new government with. Mm. But then we gave the mayor of Lismore, Steve Krieg is his name, mm. the opportunity to give us a bit of an update on whatever he wanted to, but it was obviously going to be focused on mm. the floods. Now, I have talked to Steve a few times over the last year and a half because Steve was a newly elected councillor in December 2021. Oh, really? Just for all happened? He didn't become mayor because there was timing about when elections were declared. Yeah. Some mayors weren't able to actually stand. These are ones that are elected by mm. the councillors. In our case, we could stand or have that first council meeting with the election declared at the very end of December before Christmas. Mm. But there were several other councils across the state that couldn't do that first election of mayor till the beginning of January. Mm. So Steve was elected mayor at the beginning of January. Never been on council before. Mm. Really good community guy. What was his background? Just more from the point of view of the fact that he's he's a guy who I'm assuming has no real political affiliations or background in this sort of stuff. He owns a a cafe. Owns a cafe and all of a sudden he walks into this storm. So he he showed a video. So February, this flood starts hitting, and of course, everyone turns to the mayor. Yeah. Even though it's not the mayor or the council that's going to solve all the problems, they want the they community become spokesperson. The spokesperson. That's so it. So the first thing Steve did, he said, "Let me just show you something." And he put up a video of an interview on the Today Show. Right. And he's standing there. It's raining. There was a uh, an area that was part of a, a levee bank height that the river was just over the other side of, so it hadn't breached it yet. Yeah. And Carl says. How are you feeling? So straight to, to this mayor, <laughs> how are you feeling, Steve? Mm. And he, his first word was a swear word. I won't repeat the swear word. <laughs> I can imagine. But I can absolutely imagine. Live TV yeah, on the yeah, Today yeah. Show, first was a swear word. And you can hear all the mayors in the room that are watching this video of him <laughs> all laugh and cringe at the same yeah, time. Going, yeah. oh, but you can see what happened. Oh, absolutely. And the raw emotion for Steve. Yeah. And he said, I'm doing this interview. I've been in the job for five seconds. Yeah. I've got no media training, no background in council, and then they're turning to me. Yeah. I don't know what we can do. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. It. Anyway, he did the interview, and then he lost audio, so he oh, said no. it during the interview. He said, I can't hear you, Carl. Talk I think you're still there. Fire. Oh, that's my right. goodness. So on he goes. And so we, we got that. And so I do really feel for him. And I've yeah. talked to him a couple of times over the last year and a half. Just we've been at meetings or we, we've talked on the phone, and he's just said, Matt, what do I do here? He, mm. There are some times when he's just been down because he mm. just feels so frustrated that he wants to help, mm. and I think he's a very genuine guy that really would love to help, yeah. but of course council can't do everything. And so he has been, I won't go so far as to say he's been depressed, but he's certainly yeah. been sad and frustrated and 
emotional at times that I've oh, dealt with over the Absolutely. last year and a half. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of an introduction. Then we yeah. went through and talked about the things that happened. He had a representative of the police there, and, and that was fantastic to hear from them because yeah. they said the police, the first reaction people say, oh, no, am I speeding or who's doing something wrong? But when there's a disaster, when there's an emergency, everyone turns to mm. local authorities like Absolutely. police, like fire. Yeah, yeah. And they said the community responded really well, but the police responded really well mm-hmm. as well. ADF got involved. That was a bit of a process, and that was one learning, which I'll mention in a moment. But yeah. obviously flooding was the issue. So I went through all of that process there. And to give you an idea of just how bad it was, the 2017 flood they had up there was around, and, and I won't quote the exact figures from Steve, but say around 11 metres. Mm. The levee bank is around that height as well, so mm. it just breached the levee bank. But mm. 2017 flood wasn't great for them, but not devastating. The 2022 flood was around 14 and a half metres. That's amazing. So you take Goodness what you me. had thinking that was a bit bad yeah. and then add over three, three metres to it. Oh my goodness. You can just, just oh, it beggars belief. And yeah. then as we drove around and, and Steve showed us a whole range of different places, there were some markers. They've only just been putting these up now, markers on buildings to show flood right. heights and showing what the levee bank is and 2017 yeah. flood and, and this mm. flood. And we were looking out there as we'd get off the bus and we'd stand there and we'd have a marker that might be a few metres above our heads. Mm. And we'd be looking out across the area going, I can't imagine this entire area full mm. of water, just the volume of yep. water that would be needed to fill it to that height above us. And there were some infamous shots that we saw. Mm. The McDonald's signs, we went past the McDonald's yes, sign, and the McDonald's yes. sign was just out of the water. The yep. Goodyear sign, the same thing. Yep. So and you're some looking of, up and thinking, how high is that? That's right. So yeah. you're standing there looking up going, there would be several metres of water above wow. where I'm standing, and then that flows out because water tends to stay pretty flat on top, yeah. water across the whole area. Now, so, we learned some interesting things. Right, okay, yeah. Lismore yep. is into baseball. Oh, really? Okay. Who knew? I didn't know. And they showed us this beautiful baseball field, which has just been restored. But at that baseball field, they've got some light towers. And you've seen mm. normal light towers. They're mm. pretty big on the bottom. They're fairly strong. They've got some other towers there that hold up the baseball net that's behind the where the um, mm. batter would stand. Yep. And, uh, and you know, so the ball gets pitched into that as such. And or into the, the catcher's hands, but yes. that's behind them. Yep. And so you look at that. And they, as Steve said that as the water flowed through, just the water flowed through, it bent these poles wow. over. Just, just the, power the weight. Of it. Yeah, that's Goodness right. So, me. what they're doing though in their restoration, they're trying to do a lot of betterment. So, for example, switchboards that mm. were down at lower levels, mm. it looked a bit funny because mm. you were going, "What's that building over there?" But it was a, a little building that would had been made to go around a switchboard. So the next time a flood comes through, yeah, the switchboard. That's right. Okay. Or the electrical components of the light towers are now being remounted yeah. higher up. So it's things like that. So, so in regards to that, like you're talking here now obviously about this is the rebuilding process now to come into it. So is Lismore in a position to rebuild? Mm, that's a very good question. Mm. There's money that the state government has offered to Lismore to help them rebuild and they've started that process and I think they've done fairly well. Some of the things that we saw, went, wow, that's pretty impressive. But there's other areas that it's just not practical to rebuild. Mm. So there's been a fair few buybacks, but again, one day I did see Steve only a few weeks ago. He was he was looking devastated. Yeah. And I could I could see something's wrong. Steve, how are you going? What's wrong? And he said, well, we'd been led to believe by the state government that there were a certain number of houses in certain areas that would be bought back. So those owners were feeling at least there was an end in sight, there'd mm. be a buyback. And these are houses that had metres of water go through them mm. during the flood. Mm. But then when the state government brought out the maps and said, here are the ones in this area that will be brought back and outside that area. No, 
that was a much smaller area. Oh, so right. Steve, when I saw him, yeah. he must have had 50 phone calls yep. from all these people that were outside the area that was going to be brought back, but inside the area they thought they were going to be brought back. Wow. And so again, you can imagine if you think I've got an out, yep. I'll get some money because some of these people are still living in caravans yes. or at friends' houses. Yeah, so for yeah. the last 18 months, they've been living on a, a couch at some friend's place yep. or wherever they can find somewhere. Yep. But there's an end in sight because I'll get bought out and then yep. I can go and build somewhere higher or whatever. Now I'm not getting bought out. What mm. do I do? So mm. that was pretty devastating for those people. But Steve was really, again, he's only very new to this. Yep. He was carrying all of oh, absolutely. these problems from yeah, all yeah. of these people there. It, it, is, is there a support network that obviously you've talked to her about, the support that you're obviously providing uh, for Steve here, the, the mayor. Um, it, is there other external support opportunities here? for This is part, of, I suppose, goes deeper into the, the role here of the mayor. Um, you're seeing a guy here like Steve, and I don't know the blokes, I'll refer to him as Steve, but he sounds like a lovely fellow who's obviously struggling along very desperately with what's happening. Are, are there support networks for the mayors and, and for the councillors and in general in regards to situations like this when a real crisis hits? Probably the best you'd come to would be local government New South Wales, which is our peak body for the state. They do have mentors. So Greg Matthews, for example, a former yep. mayor of Dubbo, yep. he's a mentor. So mentors, if a mayor across the state or even a councillor across the state wants some help, they can go to LGNSW and say, mm. I just want someone to talk to, someone that's been there and done that. And so Greg, someone like Greg, who's had been on council for a long time and had been yep. a mayor for a number of years, that's the sort of experience you want. Mm. So you can reach out to them and mm. the payment for that mentor is done by LGNSW. So right. you don't have to worry about, do I have to ring someone, but how much is it going to cost me? Mm. You have to think about the cost. Yep. So there is that process. Probably not enough people know about that, enough mayors know about mm. that. Mm. I suppose there's also that support network, as you say, of other mayors. Mm. You'll have mayors near you. I'm sure Steve's talked to Chris, the mayor of Tweed, a number of yep. times because they would have gone through things in a similar way as each other. But even groups like yeah, RCSW. Yeah, absolutely. So any of those groups. One, I'd say. Yeah. So I don't know there's enough formality to that. Yeah. But this is a fairly unusual situation. Mm. It's pretty unusual to be thrown in the deep end, literally, excuse a bad pun, no, no. but thrown in the deep end to have all this happen within such a short time frame yeah. of becoming a mayor. So that was interesting. But then we kept driving around. They took us to the Catholic school, the Trinity Catholic yes. school. Yes. And we went through there and it looked like a ghost town, the school, but it looked like a very modern ghost town. Right. Some of the buildings there were magnificent. They looked yep. in fantastic condition now. Right. There were brand new air conditioners on there. Wow. there so, was, so there's obviously been some recent um, you know, development in the place as well. Well, we stumbled across the park. September 2020, oh, Kevin Hogan, the federal member, right. officially right. cut the ribbon on this new extension to the school. The school's got a 100-year history there, yep. but a new extension to this school. They spent approximately $60 million. Wow. So $60 million. You, you've got this beautiful school there, obviously fantastic modern facilities, 1,100 students. So think of St. John's College here in yeah, Dubbo. absolutely. Similar sort of size to that. Now, am I right to say that they've basically written this school off That's as a it. site? You can't move back in there because no insurance company will insure you anymore because of what's happened. Wow. So they could do the refit. They've been paid money from the insurance company. Yeah, yeah. They could do a complete refit of that school. But, but there's then, always the risk. It could correct. come back through again. That's right. And we stood in the gym yeah. and there was a mark on the wall in the gym that was at the top of the... Uh, stands, the the viewing stands, if you like, in the gym, like a, a typical yeah. gym had a, a couple of little, not seats, but kind of steps mm. to the side that you sit on. Mm. And it had the 2017 flood there. And we knew that the 2022 flood was several metres above mm. that. So we're looking at that marker on the wall and then we're looking up 
And we were guessing as we were looking there, but it was pretty close to the ceiling in the gym. Now, you know how high our yeah, gym absolutely. is. You've got to be able to play basketball in there. Yep. You've got all this yeah, activity. Yeah. So that's how high the water was through the entire school. That's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. So it's a it's pretty devastating when you look at that. Who knows what will happen with that in the future because it's of no value to anyone because yeah. it's possibly, well, not possibly, probably going to flood again at some yeah. stage. So yeah. what are you going to do there? So there's that sort of devastation. Now, as it would happen, the students moved out to one of the university campuses because the university campus lost a lot of physical students during COVID. Mm. They were now doing a lot of their learning oh, okay. online. Right, right. They had spare capacity and they're still there now, but what's the Catholic education yeah. system going to do with these students? I don't know. Steve doesn't know. Wow. I don't know the Catholic education You're system You're talking knows. 1,100 students here, That's and right. it's a very important uh, moment in their life, giving their high school schooling. Yeah, and Steve did talk about his daughter. We met his daughter and okay. his wife and daughter at, at their cafe. Yeah. But he talked about his daughter. She started high school. She had COVID, so she was going ah. through that process for some time. Then finally back to school, and then... School closes. School closes oh, with no. floods. So she's now at the point, I think she's doing year 11 this year. Goodness. Of any group of resilient kids, I reckon that year 11 group will be pretty resilient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was quite fascinating driving around there. One of the things that you probably don't think about so much is the economic activity that's driven by these various other activities. So mm. take the school. Mm. You've got the school in a certain location. You've got 1,100 kids, so you'd have to have 150 students, I'm mm. guessing, there, maybe even more. Yep. Uh, sorry, 150 teachers yep. or, or more there. Those teachers would come to work at school each day. Yep. They'd go down the main street maybe. They might yep. have a favourite coffee shop they'd go to. You take away 150 customers from a coffee shop down the main street, yep. suddenly that coffee shop may not even be viable. Mm. You don't think about that coffee shop that might be a couple of kilometres away yep. that the teachers go past on the way to school or on the way home from mm. school, for example, or the kids around that school where they might go after school, after school activities. Yep. They're somewhere different now. They're somewhere in another part of... Lismore. So yeah. all these things you just don't really and think I about. I suppose in regards to that, is, again, are there support networks available for these businesses and uh, to get Lismore up and running? You know, it, it really does seem to me as though, you know, we're going through here what I would suggest that obviously there's been a natural disaster has occurred, a significant disaster. Um, but the rebuilding of this, and I suppose getting back to where you're at in regards to the learning process as a council, you know, it, it is there something here too that you can learn from this as well? Is this all part of from their, their sadness and their grief and their, their loss? There's got to be some positives coming through. There. There's got to be groups out there supporting these groups that you can then access if we ever have to face a natural disaster. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think most of those residents there saw the support network as the mayor and rang yeah, the mayor. Poor old Steve again. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But uh, there probably are. There's places like Lifeline when it's really desperate, but you're probably not going to ring Lifeline if it's just, wow, that's really frustrating. Yeah. My kids can't go to school. They're going to another school. You probably wouldn't go straight to Lifeline. There's probably some steps in between. Yeah. But I don't know is the real answer to that. But yeah. it's not a bad thing to think about a bit more. And I'm sure that's something that we'll learn out of that. One learning, when we had the police doing the presentation earlier, one learning I think that is absolutely something we've got to get out mm. of it is the bringing in of the ADF. Mm. Now, when you've got the Australian Defence Forces and you've got all these people that are trained, they're trained to do certain things in a short time frame and to mobilise in a short time yep. frame. One of the things that seemed to be frustrating is that when they got to the point of needing the ADF to get the process, because it's the state government, the police, mm. the state government want to call on the ADF, which is a federal component. Mm. 
then there was a few steps to go through and it seemed like when we were hearing from the police, it seemed like it was, you had to know the right person in this department mm. to get on the right person in that department to go and activate it yep. and then finally you get some activity but oh, it took goodness. too long. Yep. So one of the things we all took out of that was we need to talk to both state and federal about easier ways when you have something happen, yeah. we need to have a trigger and yep. councils aren't going to just go and say, oh look, it was a bit dusty yesterday, there's a bit of dust on the main street, quick, bring the yep. ADF in. Yep. They're only going to bring in the ADF when they're needed. Yep. But one of the things that Steve said was interesting is in talking to the ADF, as soon as they came in, mm. they're looking for their exit strategy because their training is yes. they're in a war zone. So yep. you go in, you do what you're going to do, and then you get out. Yep. So literally, they're coming in going, right, we're doing this, and we'll get this fixed up, and then we're out of here. It's like, hold on, can't you hang around a bit longer? Well, that's what our training is. Our, training our job's is to done get, for what we've been trained to do. Yeah, right. yeah. And then even can you help us rebuilding things, infrastructure, yeah, roads, yeah, whatever yeah. it might be. And they said, sure, if you want it to last for six months. Mm. Because what we do is we go into an area and we know how to build something that'll be quick, yep. that'll be good for six months or so, yep. but don't expect it to be there long term because that's not our training, our background. Yep. And you remember down in Wellington when the bridge got yes. knocked down in Wellington yes. and the Defence Forces came in and built the pontoon bridge yep. so that you could get across. And I actually thought, oh, that was pretty cool. I remember at the time, yeah. we were obviously much younger, as many years ago, but at the time I remember thinking, oh, that was pretty cool. I wonder why they didn't do a more permanent bridge or, mm. or do something that could maybe just stay there forever. But again, that was their job. Their job get to get in, yep. get a pontoon bridge because you might yeah. be out in a war zone yeah. and you get to a river crossing. You don't say, oh, well, they've got us now, haven't they? Yeah, you need right. to be able to get It'd across be one it. Immediate solution, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and the yeah. pontoon bridge in Wellington was exactly that. Yeah. Put it in for the time frame they need it, and then out yeah. it went again. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. So all of that learning, where are they going to in the future? That's the really interesting question. Yeah, We're yeah. all sitting around saying, what's next? Well, where to from here? Where to from here? That's right. A few things. CSIRO is doing a comprehensive study. We've got some incredible talent within the CSIRO, mm. and I don't think we use it enough, but they're doing a comprehensive flood study on what will the future look like. This is what's happened today that we know of today. Mm. People talk about the 1 in 100-year flood, which I get a bit frustrated with. I think we're all smart enough to use mm. percentages. So a 1 in 100-year flood just means that in any given time frame, you've got a 1% chance yeah. of that flood occurring. In this particular flood, Steve said, the experts were saying this might have been a one in 1,000 mm. or maybe even a one in 2,000 year flood, which means it's just a 0.1% chance or a 0.05% mm. chance. So low percentage, but There's it could happen again. Yeah. Now, yeah. it's not a one in 1,000 year flood. doesn't mean you've got to wait 1,000 years for it to no. happen again. No. But the chance of it happening is low. But what do the flood studies show? We know we've got a change in climate. Absolutely. So maybe what we thought was a 0.1% chance of a flood might actually be a 1% mm. chance of a flood. Mm. The council got a bit of a hard time from some residents because they said, you told me it was safe to build on this area. And they had a public meeting about this. Mm. And Steve told the story about there was a, a supermarket that was being built. There was a developer building a supermarket several years ago, talking back before 2017. Mm. And they were building a supermarket and council said, here's the height you've got to have the floor. So you've got to build up on a pad and you can't have the floor below this height because our flood information shows that water could go to that level there. Mm. And the developer was complaining. It was going to cost the developer $150,000 more to build the development. So they were complaining bitterly. They were actually giving the council a pretty hard time in the public. Oh, we might lose this development because the council's being so mm. hard, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Council, their experts and their councillors stuck to their guns and said, no, yep. this is their information. When they had a public meeting and people were saying, council this and council that, this developer stood up at their council meeting, Steve said, and yep. he said, hold on, everyone's giving council a hard time. Why'd you let me build here? He told the story of what happened to him. Yes, and he said, yes. I have the utmost of respect for council staff. They would not budge. We put some pretty heavy, and he said, 
unfair pressure yep. on the staff. Yep. They stuck to the guns, and guess what? The water was about an inch below my You're floor kidding. level in my wow. supermarket. That or, saved me. Or this, it wasn't his, it was a yep. developer, but in the yep. supermarket. And that's because we yep. begrudgingly yep. followed the rules that council set in place yep. for us. So I think council got it right. Some of your buildings were built 50 or 60 years ago. Yep. Maybe a bit harsh, giving council a hard time mm, for mm. what's happening now. Sure, so sure. where to from here? They'll do a CSIRO flood study, comprehensive flood yep. study, more detailed flood study than apparently anywhere else that we've seen across the okay. state, probably across the nation, yep. around this area. From that, then there'll be some recommendations. Do they raise a levy bank? Well, you raise a levy mm. bank, that stops the water going into some areas, but it pushes the water down in other areas. So you might raise a levy bank, oh, phew, yep. we've protected Lismore. You fixed up my problem, which you create a problem somewhere else. Maybe. So yeah. that might be part of it. Okay. There is some talk, a really clever solution, about some retardation basins on steroids. Right. And we've talked before about in front of the hospital, for example, along the Golden Highway, yep. that lovely playing field is, yep. and we've talked about it, a retardation basin. Mm. So when you've got heavy rainfall, you've got somewhere for water to pool mm. so it can get a chance to get away. Yep. What the CSRO, and again, this is nothing, this is complete or final, this is just some of the, the ideas that are being discussed in yep. this report. They're talking about the potential of some retardation basins that are quite large where the flow of water comes down from some of the hills that would normally flow down and into the CBD and into the mm. city itself, yep. you put some large retardation basins, and I'm talking about some fairly big holes essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. and as that water runs down, those will fill up. And one of the problems you've got is that the tide can come in, right. which backs up some water in one direction, and then the river and the catchment area can flow down. When those two meet together, that's when you get the water rising. Yep. But if you can hold that water back for about six hours or even 12 hours for yep. tides to go in and out, then suddenly you've got enough water maybe that they can get away as the flood, uh, as the tide goes okay, out. Yep, yep, It's almost like a safety sort of valve. Yeah, yeah exactly okay. right. So it might be that. Raising, they're doing some house raising. Now, when right, Steve first yes. said house raising, I was imagining Big flattening to everywhere. the ground. Yeah. No, I was imagining flattening. Oh, okay, right, uh, yeah. R-A-Z-I-N-G. Yeah, I was, right, I was imagining yes, going, yes. well, why would you raise these houses? Surely there's, anyway, mm. I misunderstood it. It was raising, as you said, mm. making it higher mm. and, and actually lifting those houses so they're out of those flood areas. So there's mm. a whole range of solutions they're talking about. Mm. Buybacks we've talked about, and then they reclaim that yeah. land to turn into parks, whatever it might be. Yeah. But it's all money. We're talking about here probably in the vicinity of half a billion dollars. I was going to say, it's not going to be cheap. No, and no. council doesn't have half a billion dollars. No. So that's obviously got to come from... Is, is state, state and federal prepared to sort of come to the party? or It seems to be more state money they're getting than federal, okay. but not enough yet. But yeah. at the same time, that's a fairly big hole in the state budget. Yes. You talk to people across the state, hey, fix my roads. Yeah. I can't fix your roads because I'm fixing up Lismore. So it makes yeah. it pretty tough. So I, look, I think, I think they're going well. I think things are improving, but... I think it's still, uh, again, I think it's a 10-year yep. problem that they'll be solving for oh, the next 10 I'd years. Say. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and we'll learn from it, and I think it's good. I think Steve mm. almost felt like he got a bit of a load off his chest as well, just being able to talk oh, to it amongst people who understood the situation he's in. Because yes. when you're the mayor sometimes, it's pretty hard just to turn someone else, fellow councillors, sure, mm. staff, sure, but sometimes... The buck stops with you, yeah. and when Steve's on the Today Show swearing, That's right. then he's yeah. the one there doing it. only a few people in the world understand that. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, finished there, got back in the car, drove back to the Gold Coast Airport Motel on Thursday night because heading up at 4 o'clock on Friday morning to catch a 6 a.m. flight back to Dubbo to get back to things that were happening in oh, Dubbo. Oh, mate, well, I'm glad to see you back safe. <laughs> 
Now, moving on then, uh, back here in Dubbo, uh, it's been a big week here in regards to NADOC. Now, on um, last Monday, they had the, the NADOC march, which uh, went up and down um, from Macquarie and Tarragas Street, I think it was right. And there was quite a few people involved in that. So there was quite a few NADOC celebrations also held here last Friday as well. So talk us about what happened here in Dubbo in regards to NADOC week. I really like NADOC and just the celebration to have around NADOC. And just gathering people together, I think, is really important. Yep. It was the biggest march I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Which I think it was okay. fantastic. Yep. So it did start at Bob Jane on Macquarie Street. We went down Macquarie Street, up Talbragar, turned around, and yep. ended up in the council car park. And we had council flag raising mm-hmm. there. Sorry, we had flag raising from the council area there. We had councillors doing that. We had uh, some Aboriginal elders doing that. We had Pam Wells, for example, yep. from council and Aboriginal. So yes. accommodation yes. there. So essentially... We had some discussions there, some speeches there in, in front of everyone. We talked about the fact that the theme this year is your elders. And what I talked about was that one of the things that I think we can learn from the Aboriginal community is that they do seem to have an incredible amount of respect for their elders. Mm. And they've got their own cultural practices that would say, no, I can't possibly do that because there's an elder there. Mm. Or... Mm let's go and talk to an elder and find out about the history or the culture or whatever it might be. So I actually have got a huge amount of respect for the Aboriginal community and the way they do basically bow to their elders Mm. and the knowledge and experience Mm. their elders have got. And I did make mention of the fact that I don't think we do that very well. In Mm. our community, in our white community or the non-Aboriginal community in here in Australia, I don't think we do pay enough respect to our elders. And we probably ship them off to aged care facilities and go and visit them once a week rather than actually say, let's involve you in our lives and learn from your background, your experience, your knowledge. of course, that age brings. Yeah, so I thought that was nice in terms Mm. of the way they recognise that. But I also, whenever I talk at something like that, it's really about unity. And that's what Mm. I want to see. And when I looked around the audience that was in front of me there, Mm. there was a huge range of people that were from multicultural backgrounds, that were mm. people that have been in Australia for five seconds, there were Aboriginal people that have got a 65,000-year history in this nation. Mm. There were people that have got three generations of history in Dubbo and yeah. a whole range of different people. And I think that's great. And that's that's my key message anytime yeah. that I talk about anything to do with the Aboriginal community here in our LGA. Yeah. How do we get unity? How yes. do we get yeah. everyone working together? You know, I have a bit of a dream of a day where we don't say there's Mark, he's white, mm. or there's Billy, he's Aboriginal. Mm. It's just there's Billy or there's Mark. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. They're just yeah. people. Yep, that's exactly right. Take away all your titles and anything else after that name sort of situation. Exactly right, but also culture. Yeah. Maintain that culture, learning from that culture. Mm. And I think there's a lot that we can learn as well from the Aboriginal culture, from the Aboriginal background. And I think you see things like the Rural Fire Service, for example, learn about some cultural practices, Aboriginal burning off cultural Mm. practices Mm. that have been around for thousands of years. Mm. So let people with our modern practices learn from some of that history and background experience. I think that's important as well. So, You mentioned there only a couple of podcasts back in regards to there was a a recent agreement was signed there with with the Wellington uh, Aboriginal community in regards to some of the the protocols and uh, the way of involving Aboriginal people more within council decision-making. Are you seeing the fact that this is... uh, the Aboriginal community and, and the white community are embracing more within the council level. Is that something you're seeing happening here more? Well, I think one of the things that's really important is that council can be a leader in this whole area. Mm. And if we can do it, if we can have people sitting around the table from a range of different backgrounds and different cultures and work on one outcome, mm. then that's got to be better. So, yes, I am seeing that. I've been seeing that in Dubbo for a number of years. And it was only on Friday, in all my previous time on Dubbo City Council, 
Rod Towney mm. was on council with me. We both got elected in the same election and, yep. and when amalgamation happened, we both st- ceased to be councillors. Yes. But I do catch up with Rod, not often enough, but from mm. time to time. But when I was at another NAIDOC function on Friday, Uniting had a, a NAIDOC celebration on mm. Friday. There were celebrations all through the week, but mm. I was away most of the week. But I was actually just leaving that function on Friday mm. and I hear some some person yelled to me, you know, Oi, where are you going? And turned around and there's Rod. Yeah. So I hadn't caught up with Rod physically for a little while. He had a heart attack recently, so it was yeah. good to catch up with him. But again, I learned a huge amount from Rod mm. while I was on council with Rod. And mm. I do ring him. If I've got a, a tricky Aboriginal issue, I'll sometimes go to Pam or Lewis on council yes. with me. But sometimes if it's something that might involve council and I think it might be conflicting them if I ask mm. them, I'll go straight to Rod. Rod mm. will be my first port of call to say, Rod, tell me about this or what mm. does this mean or how does this work? Because I want to make sure as much as possible I understand mm. But it's again, I don't see Rod and say, oh, there's Aboriginal Rod. It's just no, Rod, no. there's someone there's I spent 12 yeah. years on council Absolutely. with. And we got on well together, a lot of respect for each other. So yep. it's just great to catch up with Rod from time to time. So that's where I would like to see it happen or, mm. or head. I don't think we're there yet. I think mm. we've got some way to go yet, but we're heading that path. And if we have more celebrations like we saw this week yeah. with a range of different celebrations, yeah. then it means that we're coming together and understanding each other better, I hope, signing partnership agreements with mm. the Dubbo community, the Wellington community, just yeah. going down that path, I think, helps cement all And obviously, all as you're that. saying there too, with the big numbers this year as well, it seems as though uh, people are embracing it as well. I think so. I think you're spot on. Mm. Now, one of the big events that always happens every year here, basically referred to as the Rhinos. Uh, of course, here the um, Dubbo Business Chamber now they have their big Rhino Awards. Now it sounds like we've had the launch for this year. So was that an official launch or was this a sponsorship launch? What, it, it what was, sort an of launch official, was it? An official sponsorship launch. Official sponsorship <laughs> launch. Okay. So if you miss out on getting a ticket, uh, don't stress. It was for, mainly for the sponsors. Well, the tickets were expensive because you had to be a sponsor, and I don't know the sponsorship prices. <laughs> That's but, right. Okay. Fair but enough. I imagine they might be yes. $5,000 or thousands of dollars Oof, to sponsor uh, okay. a particular category. So yep. it was expensive to get to that one. Yes. You you mentioned one thing there, the Dubbo Business Chamber. They've actually changed their name. Yes, that is the new name. To something else, weren't they? Well, the, the Dubbo Chamber of Business, weren't they? Something they used to be the Dubbo Chamber of Commerce and Dubbo, Industry. That's, yes, that's it. And I think most people just call them the Dubbo Chamber mm. or some sort of shortening of that whole long title. So the board obviously decided that it was better just to change it. So it's now called the Dubbo Business Chamber, which makes yep. sense because business, if it's the Dubbo Chamber of Commerce and Industry, well, commerce, industry, Makes sense. They're just businesses. Mm. So call them that. This year will be the 27th Rhinos. 27 Rhinos. Is that right? We're up to that already. Not it's too bad. Believe, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's quite incredible. Impressive. And I do, and I did talk about this at the launch. I do remember the last of the old Rhinos, mm. 95 from memory mm. that occurred. Right. And it was a very small event, very low-key event. You had a, a yeah. small board and... The awards were just a few different categories and they were handed out and it didn't have much fan for us. So what, getting a ticket to the Rhinos is like trying to get a ticket to Taylor Swift. At the moment, you spot on. How busy it is. 96 for the first year of the Rhinos, suddenly it just lifted to a whole new level and the problem for the Chamber Board is every year they're outdoing themselves Mm. and you can't do that forever, but they seem to have been able to do it for the last 26 years anyway. Absolutely, yes. And I'm sure they'll try and do it again for the 27th. So So when are the next ones on, buddy? When are they happening? When's the next one? October, I can't tell you the exact date, but October is when they're normally on. But at the moment it's, Open for nominations. If yeah. you've got a business that you think so it's nominations are now open for them, Correct. are they? That's right. So okay. you've got that nomination process, people have to fill in information. And the judging, I love the fact many years ago, mm. there were people who said, oh, no, you just know that business mm. and you board members gave it to him because you like him. Mm. And to get rid of any of that potential 
bias or accusation yes. of bias, they actually have their awards judged by an external organisation oh, now, which is a fairly okay. big effort to go to. Yeah. Yeah, 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 they've okay. been doing that for years now, which is great. Yep. And again, I, I, I do love it. And I did say at the opening, which I've said before, or at the launch, sorry, mm. that one of the things I love about the Rhinos, I encourage businesses to put in an entry, not mm. necessarily because they think they're going to win an award, mm. but the filling in of the entry, in my mind, helps you with your business. Because mm. people ask you about your business and you mm. go, well, I'm not sure I've if we do that. I've thought about that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's can it. I do that better? Yeah. How can I do that better? So you think about these things. Like a self-evaluation moment almost. It is. It is. Mm. Exactly right. And then you, as you answer it, you think when you're doing it again next year, oh, yeah, I've mm. worked on that a bit this year. I've done mm. a bit better than that. So maybe I'll improve my mm. business out of this process. There is a focus. There is improvement. Yeah. That's right. And even you might become a finalist one year, but mm. you don't win. And you might talk to the chamber board and ask for a bit of feedback about how you went. Mm. And the chamber board did say that if someone is a bit daunted mm. about that whole concept of filling in these entries, the chamber board will actually give you a hand. They're not going to write it for you, but they'll mm. give you a hand and give you some pointers and some yeah, help. Because yeah. again, Great they're not idea. judging it. So they have actually offered that as well, which I think is incredibly generous for yeah. a volunteer board, which there are so many volunteer Absolutely, groups in, right. in Dubbo. But that volunteer board, they'll help you out with that if you want. Yeah. This is an interesting little one here, Matt uh, Anecto, I think it's pronounced. Um, now, they're a group that's involved with aged care and home care. Now, they're a new group that's opened up here in Dubbo. They've opened up a new office here in Dubbo. Now, it looks like this is an interesting little conversation. More, no, probably the best way to try to put it for you. Um, as the focus, I suppose, more about home care providing, is is this something that we're moving towards in regards to our elderly people in our, in our community right now, as opposed to probably taking away from the aged care? Is the focus now more within sort of home care? Is that more of a bigger focus for us now? It does seem to be. Obviously, you've got organisations who provide disability care. Mm. NDIS has made that better. You've got people who provide aged care facilities. So you get at the stage where you move out of home. I mentioned before that we don't look after our elders sometimes. Mm, so mm. instead of moving into a granny flat at your house, you put someone into aged care. Yes. And that seems to be what we do in our society. But there's a growing trend now in Dubbo, and I assume it's across the board, yep. where people say, I really love my family home, but I am struggling a little bit to look after, to take care of myself in the family home. Mm, mm. It's expensive when you put people into aged care. It's expensive on society in general. Yeah. So home care does seem to be a bit more of a focus at the moment mm. with a growth in that area. Mm. So Anecto has already been in Dubbo. What they opened was a new office during the week. Right. So they've actually been a group that's been here for a while, are they? They've had people that essentially have been working on site from home, okay. organising things, but they needed somewhere central to yep. go. So they set up a new office and they've got employees that will be there, but their employees are out there mm. in the field as well. But they organise things for home care. As an example, you might be elderly. You're not there yet, but you might be elderly Thanks at some point. Thank you very much for pointing that out to me. Excellent. <laughs> and you might struggle just to keep your house clean. Mm. You're okay cooking some meals and doing things around the house, but just keeping it clean, vacuuming is all a bit too much for you, mm. maybe even doing the garden. So they might arrange some home care where someone might come in once a week and just do a proper clean of your house. Or mm. they might come and help you out with a garden, for example. There might be some things they'll do to help you stay in your home mm. longer rather than move into aged care. Mm. We've got, in Dubbo, 462 aged care beds. Right. Now, I'm not talking about the horizons of the world that is seniors living or 50, yeah. over 55 living. These are actually the, the proper full care type scenarios. And there are different levels of care. You, yeah. You've got people who need low levels of care and, and high levels of care. I think yeah. most aged care facilities that I've talked to anyway, 
talk about three different levels of care they might have for okay. people. So you've got 462 beds at that level, mm. but home care, mm. well, you've got unlimited beds. Yeah. You've got Who unlimited, knows? You've got all the beds in Dubbo available to you to go down that path. So that mm. can be a more cost-effective way from mm. a society perspective and also more enjoyable for people. And if they get family come and visit, they've got somewhere for them to stay, they can stay overnight, for example, mm. you've mm. got room in a house to move around a bit more. Mm. So that's what they'll specialise in. I did talk to them on the day of the opening and, and asked if they've got plans to go and build some aged care facilities. Mm. They haven't at the moment, right? but as that market grows, I'm sure they'll probably well, do that because they've got them in other places. It, it seems to be a growth market, obviously. We're an ageing population. Uh, demographically, do you have any figures uh, in regards to Dubbo? Are, are we an ageing population in that sense? We've got a younger population, median population, than the state average, mm. about a year and a half younger than the state average from okay. memory. Yep. So that doesn't mean that we haven't got people that are aged in our, in our community still. Mm. But what we do see a bit of in Dubbo is people from regional areas out further west mm. that might need better health services or better home care facilities, for mm. example, or a path to go into aged care. They might move to Dubbo, sure. gravitate towards Dubbo, yep. and then from here, and this is, again, feedback from an ecto, yep. they do see some of their clients that have spent all their life in a Burke or a Walgar or a Warana and then okay. move into Dubbo for their later stage of their life. You don't see a lot of it yet from Sydney, but I mm. think as house prices keep going ridiculous yes. in Sydney yeah. and people are being offered incredible money for houses in Sydney, they might see it as a good option to move yeah. to a region yeah. area like Dubbo. Yeah. We're not seeing a lot of that yet, though. So right, okay. it's interesting. But just a little one little point there, which I do find people uh, interesting is the word mm. I'm going to yeah. use here. At that particular opening of that office, they had a smoking ceremony. So Lewis Burns, one of oh, my yes. fellow councillors, was nothing to do with council. That's his private business to go along and do things like welcome to the country and, mm. and smoking ceremonies. So he was out on the footpath outside doing a smoking ceremony. And right. that's a normal process. I've seen yep. lots of them. And he goes through and, and talks about the cleansing of the smoke, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And I posted a photo of that on social media right. and just had Lewis there doing a smoking ceremony. I thought, yes. out of respect, it would be nice to post that and show that. It wasn't that long ago we put out a media release from mm. council to say, don't keep polluting the atmosphere. There's some new legislation about burning off in your backyard. Oh, no. Don't burn off in your backyard. Don't right. take the green yeah. rubbish you might have and burn off. And don't of course, tell me you got some negative feedback based on that, did you? Someone said, what's Lewis doing polluting the atmosphere? How does that oh, tie goodness. in with your recent media release about don't burn you off and all the pollution? You know that word respect we talked about earlier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it was there in that scenario. That's exactly right. Now, Matt, coming up this week, there's a couple of important little things. I, uh, I note one of the big ones, and we've talked about this before. Uh, over there in West Dubbo, there's this new amenities block, which is about to be built. Now, I know that sounds uh, rather unexciting, to be honest. We talk about amenities block being built. But this one's a little bit more exciting because this is going to be a 3D amenities block. So depending on when you listen to this podcast, you might be able to get over there. And that's the main reason mm, I mentioned I won't yes. go into detail. We'll talk about it in more detail after it's printed. But from Monday the 10th of July, okay. from 8am, and this yep. is all weather permitting, Yes, from 8am through to Wednesday evening, probably 4 o'clock maybe right. until yes. the sun goes down, maybe a bit later than 4 o'clock, there'll be a gantry set up with a 3D printer printing at the Macquarie Lions Park. So we're West. literally talking here really less than three days. That, that's it. Well, Monday, this, Tuesday, Wednesday, bang, gone, That's right, the, the production of that. And that's essentially the slab is there now already yeah. and they'll basically be building this on the slab, printing this on the slab. So I would encourage people to go and look at it. Now, when you go and look at yeah. it, 
please be careful and sensible. Yep. Don't expect to be able to drive right up next to it because there'll be other cars there. Yep. And it is still a construction site, so please mm. be careful around that. Mm. But park your car somewhere nearby, walk over, have a look. There's a construction fence there. Yep. Take some photos, take some videos, post them to socials, do yeah. whatever you want to do. But I'm pretty excited about this, and I don't know the outcome, how it will be in terms of cost and time frame. We've got a bit of an idea of all of that because obviously yep. we went out to tender for this. But let's analyse it all afterwards. But I'm hoping it'll turn out the way it looks at this stage, which will be very positive. So we'll talk more about it. But Monday, the 10th of July, through to Wednesday, the 12th of July, 8am mm. on Monday, through to, say, 4pm on the Wednesday, 3D printing of the amenities block at Macquarie, Lions Park West. Go and check oh, it out. Do yourself a favour and have a look. I'm at uh, another little quick little one here in regards to the new Benelong Bridge. Now, there's something here. I shouldn't say it's a new Benelong Bridge because it's got to be built. But there's a, a bridge there at Benelong um, on Benelong Road. Is that right, Benelong Road? Well, you've got you've got to put the emphasis on the right spot. So I think so that's it's, right. So it's, it's, a, it's not the new Benelong Bridge. It's new Benelong Bridge Road, road Limits. Ah, see, there we go. <laughs> And I'm an English teacher, and, and that's that's me reading it out uh, incorrectly, but of course. <laughs> so it's, it's the limit here is the focus. There's a new limit on the Benelong Bridge. Correct. There now, we go. And I'll, I'll tell you where it is because you, you mentioned yes. it and I didn't answer that part, sorry. It's on Benelong Road, that's correct, and it goes over Wambangaling Creek. It's about 8 k's from Obley Road. Right. And I, I haven't recently because it's a bit too cold now, but yep. often I'd ride my bike out there, for okay. example. We are going through a process already of replacing that bridge. Right. We haven't got many timber bridges left. So this is an old timber bridge. Very old timber yeah, bridge. Right, okay. We haven't got many left in our local government area. That's one of them. We've done some compulsory land acquisition on the side of the bridge, the approaches to the mm, bridge there, mm. so we can actually build a better bridge. Mm. And you go down, again, I know from when I've ridden my bike there, it goes down a bit of a hill, mm. turns onto the bridge. Now, some people who are very skilled ride their bikes across that. I don't. I oh, push my geez. bike across it because... Mm. Death wish, 101, right <laughs> there. there. Are Planks of timber on the deck, and mm. there are gaps between those t- planks of timber. So you're coming downhill on a bike, hitting probably 45, 50 k's an hour, hit one of those gaps, pretty <laughs> sure uh, it'll go stick, law of gravity will take over, and over we go. And there are people I know who I ride with who do ride across it, Oof, and geez. they probably slow down from the 45 k's an hour, <laughs> but they ride, and they ride on the one plank, and they do a very good job. Yeah. I look at that and I go, Braver you know what, me. It's, not, it's not worth the risk for me, I'm just going to walk my bike across Smart it. Move. And, and that's fine. So that bridge has all been replaced. That's in a process. Yep, yep. Now, as part of our planning for that, mm. we've been out just doing some work around the area, mm. inspecting different areas. One of the recent inspections, they found some of the main structural timbers on this very old timber mm. bridge have some lovely splits in them. Oh, okay. That can't be a good sign. No, that's going to be a problem. For a timber bridge. Yep. Had some uh, engineers come along to have a look at that, mm. just do some preliminary investigation, and straight away they said you shouldn't be having heavy vehicles go on this. At the moment, it's had a 44-tonne limit on it. Yep. We've said immediately, reduce that to a 15-tonne limit. Yep. We've done a little bit of work on it just to shore up those, so we're very confident it can handle 15 tonnes. Mm. We're not confident it can handle 44 tonnes. No. Now, this is a huge impost for people around the area, for farmers around the area, yeah, yeah. because they need to bring various goods across yeah. that bridge. If they can't, they've got to go a much longer way around. I've already had some phone calls mm. from some farmers around the area. But unfortunately, from my perspective, and again, council perspective, yeah. I'm not about to, and it wouldn't be my decision by myself, but I certainly wouldn't be encouraging our councillors to say, forget what the engineer said. Mm. Don't worry about that split in the timber. It's been mm. working okay up till now. 
what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Well, you mm. could end up it's with all good someone. Until it does go wrong. That's yeah, right yeah. at the yeah. bottom of the bridge in Wembangling so Creek. Is there any way of policing this, or this is just basically sort of saying to people, "Look, guys, just do the right thing because we don't want to see you at the bottom of this creek." Well, yes, you could police it, but we're hoping people will hear about it. They'll mm. see the new sign that we'll put up there. They'll take note of that. And again, the number of farmers that have already spoken to me, I think mm. the message is getting out there. But you'd probably hope that people would say, for their own safety, Absolutely. let's not go across yeah, yeah. it. It's a bit like trying to rush a pilot, isn't it? Don't worry yep. about that flashing light on the dash. It'll be okay. I'm mm. not sure it's called dash on a, on a, on a, in a car. <laughs> I'll go with that. I know what you're talking about. It's all <laughs> but, good. But ignore that. It'll all be okay. Yeah. You, you get a little bit annoyed sometimes when a plane's delayed, but you say, well, I'd prefer that than go up in a plane mm. where they had a major Safety error. first. Mm, exactly. And that's what's happening here. So keep that in mind. That will be, that limit will be essentially until the new one's built. Okay. The new one's not due to be built until around March 2024. So yeah. it's nine months of inconvenience, okay. which is bad, and I do apologise to people, but again, from a safety first perspective, it's mm. not worth the risk. Absolutely. That's an exciting one. Uh, it looks as though uh, there's been some movement at the station, as Banjo Patterson would say, in regards to the old Daily Liberal site development. Um, am I correct in saying this, Matt? Is this what's happening? That this is the the site. You've got the old bank there, and there's uh, this is where the old Daily Liberal um, building used to be. They've knocked it all down. There's a developer in there now, and it appears as though there's been some movement. Are we about to see some construction happening here? I'd like to think so. Mm. It's now been approved. There's been a, a DA in there. And it's been determined by the Western Regional Planning Panel, so not through council. Mm -hmm. And that's because it's a $65.3 million development. There are certain limits to council DAs and when there are certain things that are triggered. And this one was triggered to go above council to the Western Regional Planning Panel. Mm. But that's pretty exciting. That's a a DA that's now been approved. It's now up to the developer from earlier conversations. He's got five years now to do some substantial works on that. But it's the development is for a 15-storey mixed-use development. Right. So this is opposite Dubbo Square. Yep. That'll really change that area. Oh, absolutely. We know yeah. we've got that high-rise development going on at Number 1 Church Street, yes, the yes. Walken Brothers there with Jerry Harvey. So that's happening. We've Absolutely. See construction see, well, happening that's there. very much on the way. Yeah. That's exciting. And we've got this one now. So this will basically have 162 hotel rooms. Wow. We need more hotel rooms in Dubbo. Yes. People often say that the, the hotels, motels in Dubbo yeah. are booked out or have very high... And it's high, not just during school holidays. No, it's, no, it's all the time. Very high occupancy. Yeah. There'll be 41 residential apartments in yeah. this one, 294 parking spaces, eight commercial tenancies. So it sounds like a pretty exciting development. It's a serious development. I've just seen the picture in front of you there too as well. It it looks magic. Well, we've got the pictures in front of us. Not really that good for podcasting in the pictures. Let me describe you. It's big and there's blue background. It looks really nice. (laughs) That's a perfect description (laughs) of it. (laughs) And and I think it will really change this and the development on Number One Church Street will really change the vibrancy, in particular the nighttime vibrancy oh, in our yeah, CBD. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm with you. Very exciting. Mm. We don't have any time frame on commencement of mm. the construction. Again, I suppose there's a few things there. Conditions, mark conditions about what people want to buy, how much they can pay for it. Yep. Mark conditions in terms of construction. Is there or are there enough people out there, tradesmen, to actually build something like this mm. at the moment? Are they all busy building colleges? A whole range of variables. Mm. Mm. That will be up to the developer to actually make those decisions. The DA is there now, yeah. so they can start any time. That's brilliant. 
Now, Matt, uh, again, this week, uh, there's a couple of things coming up, in particular the standing committees. Uh, so what standing committees are meeting this week? So our three standard standing committees yes. are meeting this week. Oh, okay, all three. All three. And that's normal for the two weeks before each council meeting. Yep. They're on Thursday night, 5.30. You can tune in online. You can come down to the council chambers and actually mm-hmm. watch the council meetings if yep. you would like to do that. Yep. But again, it's one of those things I just encourage people mm-hmm. to get the business papers they're available typically Monday each week before the council or standing committee meeting. All meetings. available online. All available online, that's right. You can read through those. If something piques your interest, then yeah. come down and see how it goes. Tune in and watch how the debate, the discussion goes. Yeah. If you've got something you're really concerned about, want to have some input, contact your yeah. friendly local council. And so again, the, the three standing committees are? The three committees are the Infrastructure Planning and Environment Committee, chaired by Councillor Josh Black, the Culture and Community Committee, chaired by Councillor Jess Goff, and the Corporate Services Committee, chaired by Councillor Damien Mahan. Ah, that's wonderful. So as you say, if you want to uh, go along and um, and to be part of uh, that, or not actually part of it, to listen to those discussions, uh, this Thursday coming up? Thursday, 5.30pm, they start. They start on time at 5.30. And standing committee meetings don't go as long as council meetings, but it probably isn't going to go for hours. Mm. But there's still good discussion there, good debate. And then most of those topics in there will then feed through to the council meeting in two weeks' time. So even if you miss the standing Mm. committee meetings, but you see something you think you really want to have a say on, then go along to the council meeting. Because we haven't given. The last council did, and I never really understood why, but this council hasn't given delegated authority to our standing committee meetings. So that means all they can do is make a recommendation to then be resolved at council. So you get two bites of the chair, if you like. One at the standing committee meeting, and then you can change your decision or change the recommendation, whatever, at the council meeting two weeks later. Beautiful. Another exciting uh, moment coming up this week. I'm sure we'll talk about it more uh, next week, but there's a citizenship ceremony happening this week. Um, Now, Matt... uh, are we getting more of these? It just seems to be there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's incredible. Good? We're typically doing now about five a year, but we're already talking about increasing that to six and maybe wow. seven because right? it loses some of the personal touch when yeah. you get too many. Yeah. Now, these are all open to the public as well, and I would okay. encourage people to come along. I love talking to people after them about how you ended up in Australia yeah. for a start, but then Dubbo, you had mm. 7.6 million square kilometres mm. to go to, mm. and... You came to Here Dubbo. Here we are, coming to Dubbo. Now, there's got to be a, another reason besides the great council in Dubbo. There's yes. got to be some oh, other reason. There's probably one or two. So what were they? Yeah, Tell me yeah, about yeah. them. And So I love hearing those stories, but they are open to the public. So Tuesday this week on the 11th of July, so Tuesday the yep. 11th of July, at 11 a.m. Yep, council at, chambers down there? No, they're too big for council chambers. Right, okay. Back when I was on Dubbo City Council, we used to sometimes have citizenships at the council chambers, mm. but now we do them over on the flat floor of the Dubbo Regional Theatre and Convention Centre. Oh, okay, yeah, right. you yep. think about it, this yep. this week we've got 38 people being, 38. being made is, citizens. This is one of, say, every two months we're getting these sort of numbers as well. Yeah, about every three months at the moment we'll cut yeah, that back, yeah. but you're getting that many. But you can imagine, if you've got 38 people becoming citizens, yep. then normally they're all going to bring at least mm. one friend mm. or a family member, That's it. or maybe a few, so you end up with... 100, 150 yeah. people. So it got too big yeah. for our downstairs meeting rooms at council. So we had to move wow. them across to the Aboriginal and Convention Centre. And then where are they coming from? Mm. You've got people from India, Nigeria, New Zealand, Britain, the Philippines, Solomon Islands, Netherlands, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, it's South like Africa. It's Olympic Open Ceremony. Oh, it's incredible. It's yeah. just all over the place. So that's what I get really excited yeah, about. These the multicultural the aspect is wonderful, oh, isn't it? Absolutely right. 
Now, mate, it's uh, that time of the show where, of course, we get to the limerick of the week. So, uh, what's our focus this week, mate? What are you going to focus on? After the trip to Lismore and Tweed Heads, mm. I thought I should... Well, it's been a big part of our podcast today It has well, been, it has so. been. So I thought I'll ask Steve to listen to my podcast this week so we can Excellent. listen to a few chats about him and then write in a limerick just for Lismore. Oh. And I apologise to Tweed Heads, but I just, after being to both, I just feel a bit more for Lismore. Mm. And that's not to undermine all the no. devastation and hard work that went through Tweed Heads, but Lismore just yeah. seemed to be hit so hard. So here we go. In Lismore, mayors arrived one by one, seeking wisdom under the morning sun. After the flood's cruel blow, they yearned to learn and grow. In Lismore's spirit, their hope was spun. (laughs) Well done. Well done. A big shout-out to Steve up there at Lismore. Mate, you're doing a fabulous job. All right, folks, that wraps up for this week of, of course, Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, everyone, take care. Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.